Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Please open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 33 as we continue our series, A Clearer Vision of Dangerous Prayer. That may seem like an odd title to you for a theme, Dangerous Prayer. And maybe the best way to help us understand it is by contrasting it to safe praise prayers. Safe prayers are, God bless me, God protect me, God heal me, God counsel me. Those are safe prayers. Dangerous prayers are, are life-challenging prayers. They are filled with boldness and daring faith. They are life-stretching. Uh, they have to do with a faith that is ready to go to the next level, that is, that is going d- deeper and beyond the usual faith that you have experienced and expressed. One of the most dangerous prayers in the Bible is uttered by Moses, who prayed, Show me your glory. And God's reply is no less striking to us. God said, I'd like to, but I can't. If I did, it might kill you. Here's our text. It's Exodus 33. We're going to look at the first three, uh, the first three verses, and then we will jump around. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people who brought you up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Now verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Chapter 34, verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, proclaimed. 
is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellious, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshiped. Let's pray. O oh, Father in heaven, Please allow us to fully hear your word today, to have it ingrained within us so that we may do well as we follow Jesus. In him we pray, amen. In walking through this scene, we are called to capture God's glory, and there, there's a reason for that. But first of all, let's just make sure we can understand glory. Now, in our previous studies, we have considered this word before. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It means weight or heaviness. Glory is necessary to live a life that has a core to it, that has meaning to it and significance. We all need something to bear the weight of a meaningful life. Now, let me, let me add a dimension to it because every word has a range of meaning. And what I mean by that, for instance, you take the word bug. The word bug has a range of meaning. I can step on a bug and smash it. Or I can say, you bug me. You bother me. Or I can say, I drive a bug. You know I mean a VW. Or I can say, I think my phone's bugged. It's the same word, but used in various ways. So when we look at a range of meaning, we take a word like glory, kabod, meaning heaviness or weight, and then we think, we look further at a range of meaning. What, what's the real essence of the word? And with this, with this word kabod and meaning heaviness is Matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, matter. Why? Because all matter weighs something. It has, has weight to it. We might say, you know, boy, this game really matters to us tonight. And what we mean is the game carries a lot of weight because uh, we want to get to the championship. So we might say, well, what does it matter? When we say that, we're saying this really isn't going to make a difference in my life. So, we all need something that matters. And we have a lot of things in our life that matter. Our jobs matter. Our kids matter. Our marriages matter. Uh, our, our retirement plan matters. There are a lot of things that matter. But not one of those things or the sum total of those things can bear the full significance of our lives. That's why we can have a lot of things in place and still feel empty. Because those things aren't qualified to bear all of that. The only one who does qualify is God himself. He matters most because he can bear the weight, the full weight of our lives. Conversely, we matter to God, but not in the same way. We do not do anything to God or offer anything to him that makes him better or completes him. But when we say, when we say that we matter to God, or we, when I say to you, you matter to God, it simply means that God by his nature has taken upon himself the, the redemption that we need. He bears the weight himself that we might have a relationship with him and live with him forever. So here's Moses' life. God had told Moses, I, I want to live with you all. I want to be with you. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. So I'm going to pitch a tent with you, and I'm going, to, I'm going to live in that place with you. But here are the people that Moses is leading. They're down the valley. 
And they've collected all their jewels together and they're making a golden calf to use for their worship. And God basically says throughout the chapter, look, I I wanted this relationship with you, but it doesn't seem like the people do. And if they don't want a relationship with me, I don't, I don't, on one hand, I I don't want to go with you to this place I promised you. Yet, on the other hand, I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I would give you the land to go to, that I would give you military success. So I've got this tension, but you know, I don't think I'm going to go with you, but I will send an angel with you. And you will give success. I'm going to grant you success in this new land. You're going to drive out all these nations. I'm just not going myself. I want the best for you, but these people are too stiff-necked. And Moses basically responds saying, well, if you're not going... I'm not going. It's not, your, it's not the success you give me that I want. I want you. Boy, what kind of faith is this? <laughs> How often I've gone after God for what he can do for me more than simply for who he is. The only glory that eventually and ultimately matters is the glory, the weightiness of God himself in our lives regardless of anything else. Because without him, we end up with an empty, depressed life that is ill at peace. So, second, this glory uh, is requested by Moses. So, what happens is, God finally, he decides, okay, I'll go with you, Moses. I'll be there with the people. But, but for Moses, this isn't enough. He won't take yes for an answer. He's so bold. So in verse 18, he prays, show me your glory. Moses is in essence is saying, okay, Lord, I'm glad, I'm glad you've agreed to go. I'm glad your presence is going to be right there in the tabernacle behind that luxurious curtain. I'm so thankful you'll be there in the middle of the people. But I, I just really want to see your face. I, can, can, you just, can you just tell me what you look like? Well, what's this about? Well, there are any number of reasons why we pray to God. Sometimes we seek him as a healer of our lives. Sometimes we seek him as a counselor for our lives to grant us wisdom. Sometimes we seek him as an anxiety reducer or as a job provider or a forgiver or a guide for decision making. And there's nothing wrong with seeking him for those reasons. That those are good, good requests of God, and he is happy to be involved with us. But to request God's glory is different. To seek his glory is to find beauty simply in who he is. He's not just useful to us, but he's beautiful to us. Moses is saying, that's what I really want, God. Beyond all the success... You're going to give us. I just want you. You see, to experience something beautiful is to simply take pleasure in it without it necessarily serving any grand purpose. So we go to the mountaintop and we stand in awe of the beauty before us and we are enraptured by what we see. And there's nothing necessarily that has been done for us except the sheer beauty that we've witnessed 
has deeply impacted us. The same thing if you're sitting on the ocean side all day long and you watch those waves over and over and you're captivated by their, by their rhythm and by the massiveness of the ocean. It can happen when you go to a museum and, and stand before a painting of Raphael and you are, you're taken into that, that painting and you're awestruck by the, by, the, by the masterpiece that it is. Or, or, you, or you go and listen to Beethoven's uh, Fifth Symphony or for that matter a Taylor Swift concert or, or a music. You, you experience something that you take with you after having experienced it. It's just beauty that impacts your inner being. You see, what God is looking for is us to love him for who he is. Picture yourself. You've got, this, you've got this millionaire friend. And everywhere you go, he says, oh, I'm buying, I'm buying. And you're game for it. Wherever you go out to eat, oh, I'm buying. And you know whatever you spend is pocket change to him. So you let him buy. And then finally the stocks crash. He loses everything and you disappear as a friend. That suddenly tells him you're only hanging around him for what he could do for you and buy for you, not because you liked him as a person. The same thing can happen when we approach God. If you've ever been in a point in your life where you said, well, man, God, I've been going to church. Jeez, I got baptized. I mean, man, I've, 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 been, I've been helping in the nursery. You know, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been learning to give, all this stuff happening. And yet, and yet uh, it seems like bad things keep happening. I don't know if this is for me. Or maybe I've heard this all my life. People say things like, uh, you know, I just don't anything to do with God because I was 10 years old and my dad died. And I, it, just, it just got me ticked off that why should I worship a God like that? Or, or, you know, my business failed. I tried my best to get that business going and it failed. I even prayed about it and it, it failed. I, no, it's not for me. That's just like that friend who has a, million, a millionaire friend and he bails as soon as he doesn't get what he wants. We have to guard ourselves, friends. It's easy to bail on God, like, like not getting what we want in our timetable. Moses is challenging us to a relationship with God who we find so utterly beautiful in himself that at the end of, day, end of the day, you don't care really ultimately whether your prayers are answered or not as long as you still have him. You're thankful to have him because you know you know he bears the weightiness of life. That's what he's looking for in us. To have complete faith and trust in the Lord is to grasp that it's only the face of God that, is, that, that satisfies the deep longings of the human soul. It's only he that can fulfill us. And ultimately, it's his eyes on us that we care about more than anything else. Well... Here was their quest for glory, and then the glory is denied. God's answer is, no, I'm not going to let you see my glory. But God is willing to give Moses a glimpse of himself. He says to him, I'm, I'm not going to show you my fullness, but I will put you on this rock, and I'm going to put you in the cleft of that rock, and my hand's going to cover you, and I'm going to pass by, and you'll get to see just a glimpse of who I am. And God calls that glimpse his goodness. 
So verses 6 and 7 again say, He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellious, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, it sounds contradictory. God says, I'm loving, I'm compassionate, I forgive sin and rebellion. Yet, I'm going to... I'm, I'm not going to let sin go on unpunished. Well, that sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. It's a beautiful tension found in the very person of God. If he were only a complete, just God alone, just, just, true to justice, no hope for any of us because we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, less than his glory, his radiance, not allowing the fullness of his weight to impact us and shape our lives. If he's only completely forgiving of everyone, no matter what, then there's no true justice. And, and we might say, well, there's no way a person can be perfectly just and perfectly loving at the same time. Well, God can. That's what makes him so beautiful. That's what makes him so glorious, that perfect tension found in him. It's why God can say in his word, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And at the same time, he can also say in truth, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, which is it? Well, it's both. No matter who we are, a person can come. No matter what we've done, we can find hope and redemption in him. But at the same time, if you casually call on him, Without changing your life, that's not going to cut it with God. So we got a, Moses gets this mere glimpse of God in verse 8 of chapter 34. And it simply says, Moses bowed down to the ground and worshiped. So let me leave you with three lessons about Moses, about prayer, and about Jesus. First of all, regarding Moses, this show me means Moses is hungry for God. Now think of what he's seen. Moses has witnessed plagues. He's witnessed the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of his enemies, a miraculous cloud guiding them in the daytime, a pillar of fire at night, a shaking mountain, manna from heaven, and water out of a rock. But that's not what he wants. He's hungry for more of God. It's not for more power displayed that he's seeking, but presence to be enjoyed. Does that describe you? Are you more out for what God simply can do for you? Or are you simply hungry for more of God and his presence in your life? Regarding prayer, this show me is dangerous because of what it does. It changes you. You cannot say this prayer honestly, forthrightly, and not expect to be changed. You can't want more of God. You can't be hungry for God and, and be left the same way. Job continued in the Lord regardless of life. He became ill, but was better at the end of his life than he was at the beginning. David hungered for God and became king. Solomon became wise. Isaiah became terribly discouraged, but then he was given the joy of announcing the Messiah in his prophecy. 
An immoral woman got a purpose to live for. Peter got a position of leadership. Paul got out of a religion into a relationship with God that impacted the European continent. John was exiled for his faith, but not before he got a glimpse of heaven. I wonder what would happen with you and me if we honestly hungered for God and were able to say to him, God, it's not your stuff I want. I want more of you. Now, regarding Jesus, we have it so much better than Moses. Moses saw only the back parts of the goodness and the glory of God. And yet, John the Apostle has the audacity to write this in John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt, that is, tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying that through Jesus Christ, we have seen the glory and the beauty of God that Moses wasn't allowed to see. Moses could only see the back parts, but we get to see right in. And here's how. On the cross, Jesus cried out in the depth of his agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you ignored me? Why have you turned your face away from me? On the cross, Jesus Christ got the cosmic nightmare of every human being. He got what you and I deserve, the loss of the face of God. The, the sense of absolute insignificance on the cross. The loss of God's presence, the loss of God's glory. He got what you and I fear. Christ became sin for us. That's why, in a sense, he went to hell. He did this to grant us an immeasurable significance so that you and I would matter eternally. And every person you ever meet matters to God eternally because there at the cross, our sins are forgiven. And we can actually look into the face of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That's his justice. At the same time, he was expressing infinite love for us. That's the beauty of God. See, if you, if you don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you might believe in a God who loves everybody no matter what. Well, does that, does that bring you to tears? that he just loves no matter what? Does that move your heart? I think it causes us to say, oh, that's great, thanks. That's a God who is not all good. He's just loving, but not just. Or you could have a God who's very, very just, but not loving. And the only way you get to heaven is working really, really, really hard, really toeing the line, showing God you're going to obey everything he's told you to do. You're going to, if you do that, you're going to have it really hard in life. Then maybe you'll get to heaven. Is that beautiful? That's not beautiful. That makes you shake in your shoes. Does that change your life? That doesn't change your life. Being only loving doesn't change your life. Being only just doesn't change our lives. The beauty of God is his glory, his goodness, that he's perfectly just and perfectly loving all at the same time. And once, one, only when you see the gospel of Jesus Christ and all the goodness of God and all pass before you in this gospel, it's not just the back parts anymore. 
It's not just a glimpse. Now you know all it took of God for our salvation. And that's where we enjoy the sheer beauty of God. It's in Christ that God looks at you and says, I love you. You're the best. And as we do that, it changes everything. That's why show me your glory is a dangerous prayer. It's coming to grips with this awesome God and what he bore that we may live. So Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Now, even today, it's happening as we contemplate who God is. And someday, in Christ, we will, we will so radiate on the day of his coming. And John writes, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not been made known but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. May we never fear praying. Lord, show me your glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we rejoice in the the gospel of Jesus Christ. We glory in the cross. For it's all on the cross that God told us how much we matter to him. And it's there at the cross, Father, we again are reminded all that he is to us, that he indeed matters most. So, Father, even this week, would you help us to live that way? Help us to be done with weak faith, limiting faith, childish faith, a faith that is routine and predictable. As we hold these emblems today, Father, I so pray that we will have a glimpse of your goodness once again. And perhaps, even in this hour, we will be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.